BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Circa. In Adventure Smart, we're diving into the world of adventurous travel. We're learning how to navigate the globe safely and wisely, venturing off the beaten path and embracing the unknown. If you're eager to delve deeper into the destinations and stories that we tell, visit CircaTravel.com and download the Circa app. That's C-E-R-C-A. Inside, you'll discover detailed maps, notes, and photos, along with immersive guides to the world's most captivating places and top-tier travel podcasts. So strap on your backpack, turn on your headphones, and get ready for the first step into uncharted territory. Circa, love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it safely and smartly. When we were working on The Amazing Race and Survivor and the other big traveling worldwide television shows that we've all produced, all of the producers and crew and the contestants were put through a thorough safety and security briefing before heading out on the road. This is the part about making these shows that the audience never saw. But there is so much that goes on behind the scenes in order to make these shows successful. And the truth is that plenty of these security and safety things become part of the show when you're out on the road. So we asked Bob to help us understand how he put together the briefing that he gave to everyone before we all left for these adventures. And to help us understand how you can basically put together your own safety briefing before you go out on your own adventure. Welcome back to another episode of Adventure Smart. I'm Bob Parr. Let's get into it. Whenever I'm giving a briefing to television shows that are moving out into the international space, actually television shows that are moving out anywhere, doesn't just apply to the international space. In some respects, certain cities of the United States of America are more dangerous than most of the rest of the world both statistically and the same applies to London. But I split these briefings down into four component elements, and it is a very, very good way of looking at how you would plan your own travel around the world. 
The four elements Bob's going to guide us through are security, safety, medical, and crisis management. Now, each one of them is a critical piece to properly planning your trip and staying safe while you're there. And now look, I am all about the spontaneity of travel. That is part of the magic. That's why we do it. So the point of these tips isn't to zap the fun out of travel or to stop you from going out there and finding out just what an amazing world this is. Quite the opposite. When you understand a place, when you feel you have a good handle on it, the realities on the ground, the concerns you need to be aware of, you'll find that you're actually more likely to get out there and do it. It's like rock climbing. Does learning how to rock climb, including the inherent risks it comes with, make you less likely to climb? No, it's the reverse. Once you know what you need to know and you're properly trained and outfitted to do so, you feel empowered to get on that mountain and climb. That's how I think of the kind of travel we're talking about. Travel that's a little edgy, a little off book, or in fact, kind of crazy. So with that said, let's jump right in. The first thing and probably the most important thing that you need to take into consideration is security. And people very often mistake and muddle security with safety. They're actually two completely different things. They're kind of linked conceptually, but in the fact of the matter, they're actually separate things. I could sum that up very briefly by saying, OK, I have a rope and I'm going to use the rope to rappel down the side of a cliff. From a safety perspective, then, you're going to want to be quite sure that that rope is fit for purpose, uh, that it has adequate braking strain characteristics, that it's not overly worn. Maybe you can get hold of uh, a usage history of it. Safety would suggest that you need to know how to tie your knots properly, how to use the associated equipment properly. So they're the safety dynamics of that rope. The security dynamic attached to that rope would be, has anyone been interfering with this rope? Is there a possibility that someone would come along and maybe try to cut the rope, thereby creating danger for me? So the way of looking at that rope then is just in two different ways. One is to do with, well, is it fit for purpose? Do I know how to use it? And the other one is, I've checked it. It has nothing wrong with it. Is it now in a safe space where it's not going to be interfered with? So that's just a way of breaking out a difference between safety and security in one very, very simple issue. Let's keep going. In travel, the first thing that you're going to be taking into consideration is what is the security profile of the place that you're proposing to go to? If you're contemplating going to Eastern Europe, would you consider at the moment going to Ukraine? Well, you probably wouldn't because Ukraine is going to be pretty darn unstable for some considerable period of time moving forward. If you're going to travel in Africa, would you go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo? for tourism, where you probably wouldn't. If you were going to go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, would you just stick around in the capital or would you go out to eastern DRC, around the city of Goma and Lake Kivu and the border of Rwanda? I'd suggest you probably wouldn't wish to go out to that area because it doesn't really take too much internet research to realise that eastern DRC is fundamentally unstable. You could probably visit the capital, but you would be well advised not to go out there. 
So security is definitely a dynamic. On to the next topic. You individually may have a certain risk appetite. Risk appetite is your willingness to step into those kinds of environments. We all need to be aware that your risk appetite can actually become borderline reckless or even reckless if you haven't done your research before you went. You may say, oh, I don't mind, I can travel the world, it's okay, let's get out there. And you just go out there and you fly to DRC and say, oh, is that all those mountains in the, uh, up in the Vrunga National Park in Eastern DRC? Let's go and look at the, uh, the mountain gorillas or the lowland gorillas down at Bukavu on the edge of Lake Kivu. I'm going to just catch a flight. It's only $20. Look, get out there, be there in a few hours. Uh, there's a two-star hotel in town. I'll shack myself up there and I'll be fine. But you'd be well advised not to do that because when you arrive there, you'll probably find yourself robbed pretty quickly. You may find worse. You might find yourself detained, kidnapped. You may get caught up in something you wouldn't wish to be caught up in. So you've really, even if you have a very high risk appetite for travel, you should always do your research before you go. So you take care of security. And if I'm given a briefing, I'll run through. We're going to go to this country. These are the security dynamics associated with travel here. There's a lot of risk on public transport. There's a risk of being robbed. There is security risk in taking photographs of public buildings or military barracks or police stations. You're almost certainly going to be arrested if you're seen doing that. And you're going to be substantively fined or you're going to get a prison sentence for doing it. So I would give those elements of uh, security to all of the people that are going to be travelling so that they have that information and would conduct themselves accordingly when they get there. So practically speaking, we asked Bob at this point to help us understand some of the steps he takes when he's putting together these kinds of safety and security briefings. Who does he talk to? Where does he do his research? Where should we be doing our research? And so on. So the way that you would find out about the security implications of traveling to any particular destination, for an American traveler, first of all, you would go to the State Department website and you would research travel advice. You'd very quickly come across a very substantive part of that website, which lays out every country of the world and provides very detailed advice emanating from the State Department. Well, of course, the US Department of State is very conservative in the advice it gives. Its prime role in giving that advice is to protect citizens, and if there's anything they know about, they're going to focus in on it, and they're going to, I wouldn't say exaggerate it, but once you've read through their reports, you would probably think, I, mm, I can't go to this place. So as well as going to their website, you might try to get a bit of balance and approach perhaps um, the British Foreign Office website or the Canadian website that deals with travel advice or the Australian one. So for people traveling from the West, so to speak, they're the prime government sources of information. Something I would caveat against is just going to social media and trying to find out who is talking about these countries. Because what you tend to find on social media is that the overwhelming majority of comments that are made are negative. A slightly better way of doing it may be to research in social media and find out if there are local groups in these countries that are travel societies, local adventure sports societies or groupings. Very often you'll find that. If you came to the United States, you'd have a quick search around that and you'd find that REI 
has a fantastic site that sets out all kinds of destinations and goes into the security background, the safety background, the regulatory background, whether you're allowed to camp in this forest, whatever forest. Almost all countries have those kinds of sites. It's just a question of trying to find one where it's English speaking. And there you will get a much more balanced view because what you tend to get is a balanced debate and dialogue going on as opposed to just negative comments being posted. Hello and welcome to BBC News and we start straight away in France. The meeting of two friends, both set up to be leaders. High alert on the Israeli-Lebanese... So in the weeks and days leading up to the time you're going to travel to this particular destination, what you might also do is just look at the news media and what is actually going on there at the moment. Now, I know that we're all swept up with this concept of false news, but the bottom line is that social media and the internet represents false news 99.9%. And outlets like CNN, Fox, BBC, whoever it is, you know, whatever your cup of tea is, at least the information has been through a professional filter. All of the rest of it that's out there that's publicly available, it doesn't go through any kind of a filter at all, or very rarely does. If you go to, for instance, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, and you just drill down a little bit, do a search on their websites for your destination, you will find a surprising amount of information there about your destination, either opinion pieces or just pure news reporting pieces or travel-related pieces that have been published by that particular news outlet. You say, well, I'm interested in going to the Côte d'Azur or Provence, which is in the south coast of France. I'm interested in travelling Provence. And you'll find immediately there'll be a host of articles in there and comment, etc., about Provence. And some of it, surprisingly, may be very, very recent. And then you might say, well, that's, that's interesting. I'm actually, actually, I was thinking of visiting those little, beautiful little villages, Saint-Paul-de-Vence, one of the most beautiful little towns that you'll find anywhere on the planet. I want to go to Saint-Paul-de-Vence. I want to go to Monton. I want to go to Grasse, probably a lousy pronunciation, G-R-A-S-S-E, Grasse. That's where all the perfume comes out of. That's the great industry there. All these fantastic places, and you drill down, you just word search, just search any one of those destinations on these sites that I'm talking about, these travel-related sites or news-related sites, and you will find a surprising amount of information there. It's worth spending a few hours just doing that, and you may actually change your travel plans accordingly. You might find some gems in amongst it. So I will step back and I'll say we've drilled down into these various resources to ascertain the security profile of each of these countries, each of these destinations, each of these localities. Having done that, your diligence to best effect, you now know what you need to do to protect yourself while you're traveling from a security point of view. More after the break. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued, 
at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. There's a lot of overlap between security and safety, but when Bob is talking about security, by and large, he's referring to external considerations and factors that are the result of the socio and geopolitical realities of these locations. Safety becomes a bit more granular. Sometimes these are considerations you have some control over. And there are things you can do to make a situation safer for yourself. I then, in briefings, would then talk about safety. What I mean by safety is, well, okay, you're going to go to India, and amazing, you've got this idea in your mind, you want to do the five great train rides of India, you want to do the Rajasthan Express, you want to do the whatever. Is it operating safely at the moment? Are there serious safety concerns about the rail network? Are there safety concerns over certain bridges that the Rajasthan Express has to go across in order to make that fantastic journey? And you don't need to be neurotic about this because clearly if it's fundamentally unsafe, well, they won't run the train. But on the other hand, you may just decide, once you've done a bit of research about safety, that you might just nix that particular train journey from your itinerary load in another one instead. Safety, though, it's such a broad cornucopia of subjects. Safety, it includes what are driving conditions like locally. You're used to driving maybe around Los Angeles or, or Boston or, or Chicago or whatever. Well, you know, driving conditions in other parts of the world are very, very different. First observation there is most of the rest of the world drives stick shift. America, stick shift. You know, gearbox. <laughs> Having to change your gear. I call it kangaroo driving when you see somebody that doesn't do much stick shift driving. Boing, boing. So from a safety perspective then, you'd plan to hire a vehicle over there. You're probably primarily a driver of fully automatic vehicles. It may be that you've never driven a stick shift in your life. And the last thing you want to be doing is driving a stick shift car around the back streets of Istanbul or whatever. So a safety consideration would be, well, we're going to hire a car. Do they do automatics? Because I'm not confident and competent in driving a stick shift. So you might decide to do it a different way, use the trains instead, or buses. What is the history of safety on buses. If you're going to drive to Colombia and you intend going over the great mountain ranges of Colombia, fantastic. I'd say, super, go out there and do it. Watch out for narcos, but go out and do it. That's a security consideration, by the way. Some of the buses are okay. Some of the routes are absolutely fine. Same kind of standards as you'd find back at home. Other buses, not so much. Going to have goats, chickens, donkeys, God knows what, people sat on the roof, whatever. Where can you get that information? You need to speak to people that have done those tours. You need to read travelogues. You need to investigate those resources. So if you're planning to take the bus over the Andes from there to there, is it actually a wise thing to be doing in the context of safety? Again, you may have a completely high 
risk appetite and I don't care. I'm going to go and do it anyway. And I have to say I've done that myself and it is a fantastic experience. When I was doing it, I had a camera crew calling me from private taxis making the same journey, screaming that they were terrified that they wanted the journey to stop and could I come and rescue them. So one man's risk appetite is different from another. I would then move on to covering medical issues. And you could say that medical blends into safety to some degree. Of course it does. Safety blends into security as well. But it is worth separating out medical because right at the top of this, first and foremost, if something goes wrong, how is a person going to take care of themselves? How are they going to be taken care of? Who is going to pay the bill? So many people do actually travel the world without adequate insurance, medical insurance. And if you have an injury that requires you to be medically evacuated just from Europe back to the United States and they can't put you on a, a normal air carrier, there has to be some other arrangement, that other arrangement is going to cost you a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And if you're footing the bill for this, well, maybe you can't get home. Or maybe you end up with some kind of a bill that you're servicing, some kind of a an obligation that's going to tie you down for years. So having adequate medical insurance is right up there at the top of the things that you must do before you travel. So you must have medical insurance. Don't think that you can pick up medical insurance once you get there. Ah, oh, I'll sort that out once I'm there because there are virtually no medical insurers, certainly from your home state, that will insure you once your journey has begun. You might find yourself to be uninsurable. Make sure that your medical insurance includes repatriation to your home. And thirdly on that, make sure that medical insurance in the contemporary era includes cover for COVID. So make sure you have those different things covered in your medical insurance. And then having analysed the country I'm going to, I'd say, well, what are the principal medical risks here? There are obvious ones, things like malaria. Malaria exists, actually affects maybe four to 500 million people a year around the world, and it kills an enormous number of people around the world. It's way, 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 way worse than COVID. So you're going to consider malarial prophylaxis. Am I going to take anti-malarial tablets throughout my journey? Am I not? Something you need to discuss through either with a travel medical travel clinic or with your personal MD or general practitioner GP to make sure that you're properly covered, to make sure you're taking the correct travel medications. The destination you're going to go to, do you need certain vaccinations before they'll let you in? COVID is the obvious one, it's in our face. Be ashamed to turn up at your airport and find that the carrier will not board you because you're not correctly vaccinated for that. But there are other vaccinations that are mandatory. Travelling between A, B, C and D and yellow fever is one of them. There are a bunch of others, but the best thing to do is to go to a travel clinic or your MD, tell them your travel plans and ask, what are the vaccinations that I need to, to make this journey? And there are various other medical considerations. If you're looking at a destination that has high ambient temperatures and high humidity, then quite clearly heat is going to be a very significant risk for you when you travel. And you need to take account of that. You need to have the correct clothing. You need to ensure in your own frame of mind that you're going to remain adequately hydrated throughout the whole of your journey. And that wherever possible, you're going to protect yourself from exposure to direct sunlight. 
these are all fairly obvious things, aren't they? These are the nuts and bolts, though, of how you manage risk. And some of it you can do in advance, like the questions of vaccination. Other things are as you are traveling. Other medical risks in overseas destinations don't necessarily have to be sort of so-called third world destinations. Are things like gastroenteritis, food poisoning, that type of thing. So what types of places are you going to eat? It's a great story with my son and his girlfriend. His girlfriend had been to India previously and she was hosted while she was there. And so she was eating on the streets, street food, that type of thing. Great tradition in India, fantastic food. But she knew how to do that safely because Indians know how to do that safely without poisoning themselves. So that girl, my son's girlfriend, had a fantastic experience and she never suffered any of that stuff. So when she went with the boyfriend and they did a grand independent OE, not hosted, she immediately took him out on the streets and they were both eating street food and it was fantastic. And within just a few days, they were pooping through the eye of a needle. They were in a desperate state. And despite the antibiotics, the whole of the time they spent over there, and it was several weeks, I think was a pretty miserable experience because they couldn't shake and constant food poisoning. They didn't understand how to protect themselves in dining on the local economy. So many medical considerations before you go. Pooping through the eye of a needle. Bob is full of, I guess we'll call them Bobisms. We love our Bobisms. There is a lot to unpack, so we're going to cover some of the medical and safety advice that's specific to certain parts of the world in later episodes. The final piece of the briefing is something Bob calls crisis response. So the last thing is, well, what do you do when things go wrong? And in risk management, that is called crisis response. Simplistically, if something goes wrong on the streets of America, you dial 911. And hopefully you get the police, you get the fire, you might get private ambulance service there or whatever, Delta Force rappelling down to save the day. Simplicity dialing 911. Many countries of the world, you can do the same. Many countries of the world, you cannot. Or even if you can, the service that you're going to get, the response you're going to get, is going to be woefully short of adequate. Doing some precursor research on that, State Department website again, travel blogs, travel sites, travel companies that provide guidance and advice, will resource you the fact of the matter who do I reach out to in an emergency? How do I reach out? What are the contact telephone numbers? Can you rely upon the ambulance service? Is it the kind of ambulance service that is just a van that turns up and they chuck you in the back of the van and just drive you to the local public hospital? Or is there a more joined up way of doing this? Are there a couple of private hospitals in this particular city I'm going to be visiting and I can have the direct emergency call-in number and they have a fleet of their own properly equipped and staffed ambulances? that will respond to my situation on the ground. So very easy to resource yourself with that information before you go. Are you allergic to anything? Are you allergic to bee stings, to peanuts, nut allergy? Do you carry an EpiPen? People that are traveling with you, do they know you carry an EpiPen? Do they know what to do with it? Do they know how to deploy it, how to use it? So they're quite important considerations. So there you have it. Crisis response is largely about having cogent information to hand, cogent communications so that you can contact people for support, 
and knowing who it is so that you have a realistic expectation of uh, what support you're going to get. Or if you're going to be 100% reliant on your own resources. Get yourself in a taxi. Get your injured partner in a taxi. Go to the hospital that is six blocks away or on the other side of the city. The hospital that you know about that is worth going to. So they're the four key elements then of how we would brief shows like The Amazing Race or indeed any other show. And consistently over the years, I've deployed exactly the same briefing. So that's that. Onwards. Don't let fear or cynicism hold you back. Go ahead. Get out there. Explore. Travel. It's an amazing, enriching experience and adventure that's waiting for you. This is the foundation of what you need to start thinking about and how you need to start thinking about it to get yourself into the right frame of mind to travel safely. In the Circa app, you'll find notes to help you put together your own safety briefing before you travel. In the next episode, we're going to dive deeper into security and safety to drill down on the ways you can maximize them in your travels. Things like cultivating situational awareness and how to tell the difference between a real risk and an apparent risk. See you next time. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Adventure Smart. Huge thanks to Bob for his invaluable expertise. When you listen in the Circa app, you'll also unlock pictures and maps and information on everything in our podcasts and guides, including this one. And the best part? You can contact local concierges directly for any queries, ensuring that your adventures are as enriching and safe as possible. Throughout this series, Bob will be your guide to embracing the thrill of travel while ensuring your safety. Together, we'll venture into some of the world's most exhilarating and lesser-known destinations, where you'll learn the art of navigating challenging environments confidently and securely. Bob will help you with the skills and knowledge to travel like a pro, sharing critical insights and strategies for safe and adventurous exploration. We'll help you to level up your travel experiences. Listen to Adventure Smart, a traveler's bootcamp on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app. That's C-E-R-C-A. In there, you'll find an extensive collection of city and country guides, travel podcasts, and more. Visit CircaTravel.com. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it.